Thomas Greer, an economist, had had a spectacularly bad record at forecasting. Many failed to predict the global financial crisis. What's your assessment of this, and how has this happened? Uh, well, I guess there, there are a lot of ways to respond to that. One is if you could predict a crisis, then it would already have happened, if you know what I mean, because uh, people would be watching around for the predictions. But it's certainly, I think, a bit of an indictment that there wasn't uh, – there wasn't a sort of a sense of wariness at the amount of leverage that had been built up by the time of the global financial crisis. And in fact, at Jackson Hole, the big uh, annual conference of the Fed in 2006, I think, I don't think it was 2007, a, um, a very senior economist, uh, and I'm trying to remember his name, Rajam uh, someone, uh, basically put this view that the world financial system was becoming more leveraged and there was uh, you know a lot of risk that might if if that risk hadn't been properly distributed and was in fact you know in fact it was sort of aggregating risk rather than distributing risk then we were in a lot of trouble and he was um fairly aggressively put down by people like Larry Summers uh so that that's a bit of a that's a bit of a um window on the sociology of the discipline if you like everyone's trying to be so clever uh and there's a fair bit of groupthink that goes on that's one thought the other is that uh you know economics is a funny discipline and a lot of economic theory is not very closely connected to reality most of the ways in which macro modeling was done then and is mostly done now is using macro models that don't have a financial system. Now, that's just bizarre and crazy because it's the financial system that's such an important part of the economic cycle. Um, so there's a lot to say there. Then there's lots of other things to say, like most we, – we never – we don't uh, tie our forecasters down to – predictions which we can then interrogate after the event and find out how correct they were. What I mean by that is that if I tell you that growth will be 3.25% next year, I haven't told you my degree of confidence that I'm giving you that forecast. If I did, I'd have to give you a range. I might have to say I'm 40% confident that it'll be within 0.25% uh, of that figure uh, and so on. And then we could compare my forecasts against what happens as time passes. We don't do any of those things. So what we've got is we've got a kind of entertainment show and a show in which people swim, you know, the big fish swim around and say, well, my forecasts are this and all the business people turn up to find the forecasts of the central bank and so on. But nobody's marking any of this stuff to market. Nobody's finding out how much... Uh, real information is in these forecasts. Finally, the other reason we so rarely predict recessions is that recessions are um, uh, rare events. So if you're not going... So, so even in 2007 or eight, if we re-ran the... You know, if we re-ran the world, not exactly, you know, in a probabilistic sense... Maybe it's true that there was still less than 50% chance of a recession in uh, looking at 2008. There might well have been 
less than a 50% chance of recession in 2009. It's just that a series of events happened, like Bear Stearns going down, uh, uh, Lehman Brothers, AIG, and so on, and that triggered the recession. That might have happened in a year or two's time. Now, what's the significance of that? The fact is that because we're not getting forecasters to say what they, you know, the chances of what they're forecasting, then no, it's not really in anyone's interest to ever forecast a recession because it's unlikely their their bet will come in. The recession's always an outsider, and if the odds are the same on all the bets, you're not going to bet on the outsider. If, if that makes any sense. Now the issue is that forecasting doesn't seem to be evidence based, which leads yeah. to another important question of how important is it to be able to measure these forecasts? Well, that's that's the that's the essence of it. So when Philip Tetlock, uh, who many of your listeners will have heard of, uh, he he got interested in this and he got interested in it in the area of forecasting political events, and he asked himself the question: How much? might a Russia, a scholar of Russia and international relations, uh, how much might they, their expertise add to their forecasts? And their forecasts might be of the way the Russian economy will go next year or whether um, Mikhail Gorbachev will still be the uh, secretary of the Communist Party in uh, 19... 87 this let's say a forecast in 1986 now once you realize that you want to actually measure how accurate these forecasts are you're not going to accept the normal kind of punditry which is not very distinguishable from astrology in the sense that it will say something like mr gorbachev will come under a lot of pressure next year well thanks very much what does that tell us uh so you need to tie forecast down to very specific uh, statements of what will occur and then very specific statements of the expected level of confidence. And uh, that's what we, uh, and, and political forecasting had never really done that until Philip Tetlock came along and published Expert Political Judgment in 2005. Uh, and in many ways, amazingly enough, all these um, quants in economics, all these people who fancy themselves as being very rigorous and very good with numbers, it doesn't happen in economics. You can compare that with weather forecasting. What do weather, what does the, what do you remember from the weather, last weather forecast you heard? It would something like the, the weather, you know, the Bureau of Meteorology uh, forecast 90% chance of rain. That is a form in which you can interrogate that after the event and say, let's have a look at all the times last year when the Bureau of Meteorology forecast a 90% chance of rain. Let's say there are 20 of those occasions. We want there to be about 18 of those uh, forecasts that turned out to come within the 90% range. 18, we want 18 of those 20 days to have rain on them, and then we'll know that the Bureau of Meteorology is telling us exactly what they know. And we are a long way from that in economics. Pretty amazing, eh? Should we be more focused on forecasting risks? So I think it makes more sense to focus on forecasting risks rather than point forecasts like 2.75%. If you go back to my example of weather data, we forecast risks of rain and things like that. So I think we should try to focus on 
the the you know the the changing chances over time for instance that there will be a recession next year now that's easily said it's difficult to do because the data that we get on whether our forecasts were right or not only turn up once in a while uh, they only turn up once every 10 years if you have a recession roughly once every 10 years what I think we can do in response to that is we can do the sort of thing that Philip Tetlock did, which is to try to get forecasters to forecast lots of things that we can measure um, more often than one in every 10 years. And then we're starting to qualify people we think we can believe more. And then we can start taking more notice of their forecasts of things which we can't scientifically test for some time. There are anyway. I think there are ways of doing this if we try to re understand that the problem is to try to have a good, if you like, market for the reputation of forecasters. And at the moment, it's not much better than a footy uh, than a footy tipping competition. There's not much information in there. There's a lot of role playing. Uh, a lot of people are trying hard, but we're not really much good at sorting out the sheep from the goats. Well, Nicholas Gruen, that would uh, assume a massive rethink of forecasting and quite profound insights. Thank you very much for your time. All right. No worries. Thanks a lot, Leon.